Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and we've got a full studio of people this morning to uh, entertain you on this wonderful Easter Sunday morning. So uh, first up, a very, very good morning to Gwen and Roger Elliott. Good morning, you two. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Okay. All well? All good? Very well. Excellent. Craving some rain down in Cranbourne? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, we, yes. We may have got a bit more than some people. We haven't had much of late. We've had a, the odd, you know, I think 20 mil a little while ago. So that's not been too bad. But, yeah, more, yeah. more needed. More, I think so. I think for most people these days. Yeah. yeah. Um, very good morning to Penny Woodward. Hi, Penny. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. And what, what about the, down the peninsula? Oh, really dry. We haven't had 20 mil. I'm no. envious. <laughs> we had um, two a few days ago and, and I think we had about eight a, a couple of weeks ago and that's it. Mm. I've never seen it so dry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're saying it's the driest for, you know, umpteen, umpteen years mm. and I think in addition to our uh, plant suffering now, there's several people saying they've got cracking in their houses mm. because mm. of the very dry soil. That's you know, right, so yep. So, yeah, we do need rain. So but out there doing rain dances yeah. this morning, everyone. <laughs> I, I worry also about the even the sort of plantation trees and things like that. There are a lot of eucalypts down our way. Mm. We've had a bit of phytophthora down there. So we were losing a few anyway, but the extra pressure of the, of the drought, there's a lot more dead trees around. And I, I just think, you know, it's yeah, awful. I, I, I'm trying to remember whether it's the University of New South Wales, anyway... They, they've got uh, people on the lookout for dying trees now yeah. so that they can record What's happening? the death of trees. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which, which I don't think anybody's done that before, to my knowledge, mm-hmm. to actually have people looking out and recording dying trees. Right, yes. Is this all going to be part of a yeah, it's part, of, part of a study. Yeah. It's, yes. a, it's yeah. a citizen science yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. 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 Okay, interesting. We also have to say a very good morning to Chloe Foster. Morning, Chloe. Good morning, Pam. Hello, everyone. I would like some rain too. My garden is so very dry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, oh. I, I remember years ago, dear old Nick, bringing in a... Now, forgotten what sort of a specimen of a branch he used to bring in, and he used to sing a little rain dance song sitting underneath <laughs> the branch here in the studios whenever we were getting desperate. It didn't work. <laughs> I don't know that it always did, but anyway, he tried. <laughs> but that's going back a while now. Goodness me. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm going to uh, get straight away into some community announcements because um, there are still things happening, folks, out there. So uh, first up, I do have to, uh, if anyone was um, going to head out to uh, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society today, don't go because um, our good friend uh, Rex unfortunately advertised the wrong weekend for their autumn show and that is next weekend, not this weekend. So uh, He said he was in big trouble. <laughs> well, I've, I've been asked to try and plead with listeners to uh, don't head out there today. 
Um, but it gives you a full weekend to enjoy this, the autumn show next weekend. So uh, the details are that the show will be on next Saturday, the 27th, 12 noon to 4 p.m., next Sunday, the 28th, 10 a.m. through to 4 p.m. And the show is going to be featuring, amongst other things, hydrangeas, autumn foliage, uh, proteas, autumn flowering bulbs. Now, um, the gardens up there should be an absolute delight at the moment, so uh, it should be a great weekend. Next weekend, I can't emphasise it enough, uh, to head along to, uh, to have a look at that. And uh, that's at um, Hilton Road, Sassafras, isn't it? That's and correct, in, uh, yes. One, 100, 100 Hilton Road. You don't need to know the number, you know, just get into Hilton Road. I'm sure it'll be signposted. Yes, yes. over the end of Hilton Road. Yes, mm. it's at the end, and there's plenty of parking available there too, so uh, no problems with that. Now, um, I have a very interesting um, uh, illustrated talk uh, to tell you all about and this is coming up next Wednesday the 24th of April um, now uh, it's uh, it's an afternoon illustrated talk and it's um, all about um, Gardens of the National Trust of Australia um, a conversation with author Anne Vale now you could join Anne uh, who's author of Gardens of the National Trust of Australia for an intimate look, talk on her book followed by light refreshments around the pool terrace and the opportunity to purchase a signed copy of the book. Now, the National Trust of Victoria holds some of the finest examples of garden design to be found within the state. And Dr Anne Vale is a garden historian, writer, garden photographer and a public speaker. Her beautifully illustrated talks are primarily garden and garden history related. Now, would you believe entry into the estate and the talk is only $4 and it's payable at the gatehouse uh, on the day located at 192 Hotham Street in Elstonwick. All funds uh, from this event go to the National Trust to continue keeping this valuable uh, garden well preserved and presented for the visitors. Now, uh, the talk with the Ripon will be held in the Ripponlea Ballroom. It will run for a little under an hour and will be followed by a book signing and iced tea and raspberry cream tarts. There you go, wow. around the old pool terrace. And that is all for $4, so I think that's fantastic value. And it will be a very interesting talk. So that's next Wednesday coming up, 2 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. Uh, that address, address again is 192 Hotham Street in, Elf, in Elstonwick. So, uh, uh, and this is from our good friends uh, down at Ripon Lee. So uh, that is an excellent one to uh, try and get along to. Now, uh, Open Gardens Victoria continues. Their next garden opening is coming up next weekend, 27th and 28th of April. Now, this is a Western District garden, Mawella. It's opening for the festive autumn weekend, uh, as I say. Um, it's a, a remarkable and historic garden, uh, and it's an event celebrating food, wine, plants and art, all within the stunning autumn landscape of Malwalloch. Proceeds will be donated to Beaufort and Skipton Health Services and the local CFA. Now, the address of Malwalloch is 3802... Geelong Road, Stockyard Hill. Now, that's near Beaufort. 
So I'll give that address again, 3802 Geelong Road, Stockyard Hill near Beaufort, uh, 10 through till 4 both days. Entry is $15, children under 18 free. And uh, included on the day, there'll be refreshments including coffee, cakes and lunches for purchase. There'll be tastings and sales of wine from Mount Langy Duran and uh, olive oil from Red Rock Olives. There'll be a plant stall and local produce featuring jams, pickles and preserves. There'll be uh, Malwalak Art, an exhibition of nature-inspired paintings, ceramics and sculpture in the coach house. Uh, on the Sunday, there'll be cooking demonstrations with wellness chef Samantha Gowing. Uh, as I said, that's Sunday only, 11am and 1pm. And there'll be sculpture and garden ornaments from <coughs> Wired for Living. And uh, visitors are also uh, invited to uh, take a picnic if they want to and have a picnic in the garden as well. Now, uh, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have once again given us one free double pass for uh, Malwalek. That uh, applies for either the Saturday or the Sunday. If you'd like to, uh, to uh, grab that free double pass, give us a call now. The first caller through will get that pass. The number 94190155. That's nine. 419-0155 for a free double pass to Malwalek next weekend. Pam, can I just interrupt yep. there? Um, I, when I was lived in the Western District and was caretaking the National Trust property Murramong, I visited Malwalek a few times. It's the most extraordinary garden, and I'm assuming it hasn't you know, gone downhill since then, or they wouldn't be opening it. I mean, I'm talking 30 years ago. Right. Um, but it's a classic open garden that sort of feeds out into the paddock so that your views, you get these fabulous distant views and it's just, it's just such a beautiful garden. It's, it's a, yeah, I, I would encourage anyone who hasn't been there to okay. go because, you know, these gardens take a huge amount of work oh, yes. and, um, and they're not open that often. So if you want to see it, you, you know, I think it would be a really good idea to go. Excellent. We should also mention that it was designed by William Gilfoyle yeah, in 1909. Say, I was actually going to say that and I thought, God, I hope I, I might have the wrong garden. No, 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 no. No, and uh, there's, there's also a lake on yeah. the property designed so by Sir John Monash. If you think of the Botanic Gardens, yes. our Botanic Gardens, it has those sort of vistas in it. That's and it's, it's just... Yeah, it's a right. really beautiful garden. Fantastic. And uh, they've got so many uh, mature trees uh, um, all starting to colour up at the moment. Yeah, so be absolutely superb. gorgeous. Yep. Yes, fantastic. All right, just uh, a couple more, and I know Roger's got one as well. But uh, the other ones <laughs> I've got, and there's only two. Firstly, um, the next... Uh, <coughs> The next talk, and it's an illustrated talk by Betsy Sue Clark, to, is being given to Friends of Burnley Gardens, uh, and that is coming up on Tuesday the 30th of April, uh, <coughs> 7 for a 7.30 start for the talk. Um, the garden, it's, it's, it's designing gardens to support emotional healing, and uh, uh, Betsy Sue Clark uh, feels the... Uh, the garden as a place to soothe oneself as a concept, embrace through history, uh, and in this presentation she will share her work, giving understanding to why we respond to different types of environments and how harnessing that knowledge guides um, her design of gardens for emotional healing. 
Uh, she's the director of Dirtscape Dreaming, known for groundbreaking work in gardens for emotional healing, her passion for connecting people with nature and its nurturing and healing capacities um, has led her in many directions in her professional career. Uh, so the details, it's as I mentioned, it's uh, Tuesday the 30th of April, 7 for 7.30. It's being held in the main building, room 10, uh, Burnley Campus, which is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. 7 o'clock for Nibbles, 7.30 for the talk. $10 cost for members of uh, the Friends Group. $20 for non-members. Um, bookings uh, are required for catering purposes. You can email friends.burnley at gmail.com and uh, payment can be made on arrival. Parking is available in the boulevard. So that's, uh, that's Tuesday 30th of April 7 for a 7.30 start. And the final one that I have is uh, down at Geelong Botanic Gardens their next uh, guided walk is coming up in May. It's their May-themed walk. And uh, this time it's entitled Kiwi Colour Fest. So the rain-shrouded hills and cool climate of New Zealand produce a luxurious uh, kaleidoscope of every shade of green foliage, from dripping ferns in sun-dappled gullies to majestic cowrie trees. There's something for every lover of nature's plant kingdom. So the Geelong Botanic Gardens has a range of New Zealand plants that whet the appetite. Now, the details, it's being held on Sunday the 5th of May, 2 o'clock. Uh, you meet your guide at the front steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens and cost is a gold coin donation. Now, Roger, you've got one coming up very soon. That's right, next Sunday, actually. Sunday the 28th of April. And this is being held down at the Cranbourne Gardens, Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, at Cranbourne. Um, and it's being run by the Friends of the Garden, Cranbourne Friends. And it's going to be the subject of the... It's a talk. The subject is Australian Plants as Weeds. Now, this is with Jeff Carr. Now, Jeff has been looking at weeds, weedy plants, especially Australian plants, for a long, long time and uh, he will be the speaker there. So, you know, people often say, oh, you know, they're Australian plants, they can't be weeds, but there's quite a few that are very, very weedy, mm. and some have taken over big areas. Well, we totally affect... Yes. Outside of their natural we, we keep forgetting that Australia <laughs> is such a big continent. Oh, that's right. You yeah. know, and with such diverse climates, yeah. and, and plants do funny things if they're out of their, their own environment. That's right. Well, even just the coastal wattle, which doesn't have to travel very far to become a weed, and mm. that, that's become weedy. Yes, sweet potosporum. Yes, yeah, sweet yeah. potosporum. Very Blue much. Bluebell creeper from Western Australia. People might know what used to be called solia, heterophylla. And uh, Gwen's going to say something. I was just going to say flannel flowers. I mean, oh, a yeah, beautiful yeah, plant, right. which you won't find any in the Cranbourne Gardens because on that sandy soil... They'd go a month. crazy. Yeah, yeah they used to have some there, and they went into a bushland. So that's oh, and, and that's the thing with the, the Australian Garden at Cranbourne. They went through a whole weeding out process of uh, just anything that could possibly be weeds wasn't, mm. wasn't planted mm. there. Mm. But, um, so that's happening at, if you get there at 1.30 on Sunday the 28th of April, you get a cuppa and some other things to eat with your cuppa. 2pm uh, start. And so Jeff Carr will be talking about that sort of thing. So... Uh, He's 
a man of great experience. He started off just doing a certificate of gardening uh, way, way back when, and then he got a Bachelor of Science at uh, La Trobe University. And he's been... Um, his expertise covers a lot of areas. It's horticulture, botany, ecology, conservation, land management. So he's a very experienced person. So if you're interested, love to see you come along. And it's just a gold coin donation as an as you come in the door. Excellent. So, uh, so that's 1:30 p.m. for 2 p.m. start Sunday, 28th of April, at the Cranbourne Gardens, and you enter on the corner of Balato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. Excellent. Okay. And when you had something there? I was just going to say, if you get there on the dot of 1:30, you can have a cuppa before Jeff starts, don't you? That's so don't. Idea. Yeah, but don't arrive at five to two, or no, you, you won't, won't get, get a cuppa. <laughs> You'll miss out. <laughs> I've got a notice from the Melbourne Gardens here, which I think is is very interesting, and I think the easiest thing is if I just read the little paragraph about it. It's called a Bush Foods Experience, uh, and it's being presented by Botanic Gardens Victoria. Charcoal Lane Social Enterprise Restaurant and William Anglis Institute and oh, Yurumboy Festival. Have I got that? Oh, well one? done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, but it's Bush Food Experience. I'll give you the dates first, so you know you know whether to listen or not. Uh, it's Sunday, the fifth of May, which is only two weeks away in the afternoon, and on Saturday, the following Saturday, the eleventh, there's a morning session and an afternoon session. Now, the little paragraph I've got here, have you ever wondered how Australian native plants have inspired the modern plate and palate? Awaken your senses and enjoy the delights of bush foods and stories on a guided walk with a passionate First Nations guide. Discover the thriving culture of the First Nations people and their connection to plants and learn how plants within the gardens have been traditionally used and continue to be used around the world today. Finish off with a delicious tasting of foods inspired by the native plants seen on your walk, developed and prepared by a First Nations trainee chefs. Uh, and part of um, uh, each ticket sale will be donated to the First Nations mentoring program at Charcoal Lane. Great. Now, it does cost $50 for adults, uh, $45 concession or children, I'll give you a phone number and also the website if you like. Because bookings are essential because they've got to do the catering, and there will be a limit on how many can attend. The phone number at the gardens for booking is nine two five two two four two nine. That's nine two five two two four two nine, or you can go to the website um, rbg.vic.gov.au. And the only other thing I'd like to mention, again, it's May, but May is just around the corner, down at Cranbourne. There, will, there isn't a quilt exhibition this year, but there is a botanical bag exhibition. Okay. Uh, free entry. It finishes on Mother's Day, that's, which is Sunday, May the 12th. It starts the previous Tuesday, which is the 7th, and goes 10 till 4 each day. And there'll be heaps of bags, over 200, I gather, uh, to display. And there'll also be... Um, all sorts of displays by Chandler's Cottage. But you don't have to book for that and there's no fee. You just turn up at Cranbourne Mother's Day and from the Tuesday before. Excellent. 
Gwen, I, I um, saw some pictures of that on the internet, and there are some fabulous bags. Oh, that they just look superb. They're amazing. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, think it's, I think it's really special. Um, the winner will be chosen by um, voting of okay. um, attendees. Okay, everyone going. Yeah, yeah. everyone Great. can vote. And a lot of them are for sale, I gather, A too. lot of them are for yeah. sale. Uh, but the winning one will re- win a Bernina sewing machine. Oh, okay. So people have tried really hard <laughs> to do very special bags. Where, I have all, where have all the entries come from? All over Australia. Oh, right. Lisa's got yep. a huge, Lisa Chandler has a yep. huge website. And people have been going to the um, quilt shows there now for, I think, eight years. And so she's got a big mailing list and uh, correspondence mm. list and... Entries come from top quilters all over Australia, and the bags last year. Some of the it's a botanical bag exhibition, but they included things like Barry Humphrey's face and Ned Kelly, you know, and <laughs> okay. all this sort of thing, as well as you know a gum leaf in it or whatever. Yeah, yep. Excellent. Well, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us this uh, Easter Sunday morning. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is nine. 419-0155. That's 94190155. In the studio this morning, we have Gwen and Roger Elliott, Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster. So uh, um, we can cover just about everything, I think. Indeed. Can <laughs> I just mention a talk that I'm doing down my way? Sure. Just for our, my um, locals around Belnaring and Summers and on the Mornington Peninsula, I'm talking about garlic. Funny okay. about that. Um, on Monday the 6th at the Belnaring Hall. So it um, starts at 1.30. So it's part of the, it's the Western Port Garden Club who's, um, who's running it. Um, the Belnaring Hall is on Frankston Flinders Road. So you just need to ask locally um, where, where, you, where you were going. But it's um, relatively easy to find. Uh, so if anyone wants to listen to me talk about garlic, you can come to the Belnaring Hall on, on Monday the 6th of May. Because now's the time to plant, isn't Indeed. It? And yeah. because it's been so dry, I've been encouraging people not to plant too early. So, um, because you're going to have to water it, um, mm. which, you know, it's not, not so good. You, it needs to be, you need some water in the soil before you start putting it in, mm. if possible. Yeah. So mm. timing for a talk. Yeah. Um, we should also remind uh, listeners that uh, that if you want to have a look at the photos, um, I know, Roger, you've sent through some photos to our Facebook page, so if you want to have a look at uh, what the plants we're going to be talking about this morning look like, then, uh, then uh, go to our Facebook page. Simply sign into Facebook and uh, type in 3CR Gardening Show or the same with Instagram and uh, those photos will all come up. So... Uh, uh, that number again, if you'd like to uh, ask a gardening question this morning, 94190155. Why don't we make a start on uh, a couple of those plants, Roger? That's fine. Brought in, uh, the plants we brought in today are ones which I think are pretty adaptable, do lots of good things over a long period of time. And I'll start off with a, a plant called a spiridium. It's SPY. R-I-D-I-U-M and it's actually a naturally occurring hybrid that came from Anglesey Way many moons ago and uh, it's a plant, it'll grow about probably a metre or so high and it has, they look like flowers, well there are flowers there but they have greyish or white to greyish floral leaves so the leaves look as though they're part of the flowers but they're the flowers are tiny, but um, 
it's a plant that just flowers all year just keeps going all year and you can maintain pretty well it's quite happy with clipping green foliage and it's excellent for just about full shade and it also grow in full sunshine and it seems to adapt to a, quite a wide range of soils so in nurseries it may be sold as spiridium vexiliferum now that's a great big long word v-e-x-i-l-l-i-f-e-r-u-m um, good spelling roger hey? very good spelling there I've learnt this spelling. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's just a really good plant. We've got it growing underneath another plant we brought in, a Grevillea superb, which is, goes right over the top of it, and it just, it's still... It's very it. pretty, too. Yeah. It's quite its quite delicate. It and is, um, yeah. You know, the grey-green colour of the leaves against the sort of creamy yeah. white of the flowers is a, a, a really flower. nice really nice yeah. contrast. You can cut it. It'll last for quite a long time. And it even dries very well. And people aren't into glycerining these days, but it's a plant you can actually glycerine. Have you tried glycerining? No, I've never tried glycerining. Well, you might need to explain what, do you what do? it is. One to twenty? No, no, no. One, one to, to three, I think we used to do. Oh, okay. You just put um, uh, foliage that you want to stay and not go crisp and crunk, crispy and crunchy and crackly. Your foliage just stays pliable. And florists used to use it. Heaps and heaps, and they possibly still do. Um, but you, you don't just stick the foliage in the glycerine. No, I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mix one third glycerine with two thirds of warm water, and then put that in a, a vase, a jar, or whatever, and then just stick your, le- your branches in it like you would um, in a vase of water, and um, it so- takes up the glycerine. And particularly, in, they used to use it a lot in the. Um, uh, blue gum leaves, you know, the little round blue gum leaves and you see them go a, almost a shiny colour and they keep forever. All you've got to do is dust them. And the flowers retain the colour, but the leaves tend to go brownish, don't they, when you glycerine? In those? Or yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's mostly used for foliages rather than flowers. Yeah. Mm. But it, it's a, a good way. And there's quite a number of plants in the same family, actually. So this is in the... Spiridiums are in the Ceanothus family. If people know the blue Ceanothus. Uh, in California. For California. Yeah, it's in the same family called the Ramnus family. So that's a plant to look out for. You won't find it that readily available, but uh, some t- specialist nurseries uh, should uh, be able to supply it. There's a few that. local indigenous nurseries that have it as well because it is a local mm. yeah. plant. And, it, and it's, yeah, it's a cross with Parva, Spiridium parvifolium, Dusty Miller. So the Dusty Miller tends to be grown much bigger and more open and uh, but they're, they're all good plants so that excellent and another one yep you mentioned that grevillea rog yeah i did gwen do you want to talk about oh <coughs> grevillea superb and the name really is appropriate uh, we've got one in our front garden which was there before we came and almost constantly there are at, well firstly it flowers 12 months of the year so how good's that uh, and almost constantly we've got either wattle birds or New Holland honey eaters in it, just all the time they're there. Um, it grows three metres, four, four metres. Four metres. Um, it, it just goes on and on and on. Oh, I should talk about the flowers. Yeah, um, <laughs> the flower is a raceme um, about four inches long, you know, up to about ten centimetres long. Uh, and it just starts opening from the base with orangey 
to red um, grevillea flowers and the, with the buds up towards the tip and then it keeps going. And on this branch we've brought in, there is one which is half open, the flower sprays half open, and there are two more developing. So, I mean, it just flowers forever. So if you want to... It is one of the original Robin Gordon Banksy hybrids, but you can't get a better one. Grevillea superb. Um, Google it or, you know, ask your nursery about it. It's very widely available because it's so darn good. There is just a, one word of warning, I suppose. Some people might be allergic to the foliage. Okay. Um, so it can end up, you know, giving you a rash. So if you are allergic to things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, long sleeves, if you prune Long it. sleeves, yeah. Gloves. And, yeah. But it's it's um, the but most beautiful plant, and they're so tough. Yeah, they are. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, one more there. We do have a one call more. coming through, but we're not quite yeah. into the system yet. Okay. Um, a little plant, or a smallish plant, it's a Malaluca, and Malalucas can be prostrate up to huge big trees. But this is Malaluca thymophilia, New South Wales, Queensland. It comes from the, the wet, wettish coastal areas. <laughs> In winter it can be waterlogged. In summer it can be bone dry. And that's... It'll cope with that sort of situation in the garden too. So, uh, like a bit of sunshine, but we'll take some shade. There's quite a few selections around. There's pink lace, white lace, and a few other different things. This is more a, a typical one into the purplishy mauve tonings, and there's summer flowering. Uh, so this one's been flowering now for probably three three months or more, actually and uh, it's getting near the end of its flowering period. But um, might go to anything from, uh, say, not quite a metre, up to a metre and a half, can be pruned back very, very hard, if you wish. And, um, but it's Malaluca thymophilia. It's great because it's flowering at this time of year, but also because it will take waterlogging in winter, heavy soils or sandy soils, and a if it dries out in summer, that won't affect it too much. And, Rog, the foliage is really nice. And, yeah. and the reason it's called thymophilia is because, because the leaves right. resemble thyme leaves. That's right. So they're, it's, they're lovely fine-leafed yeah. thymes. It's also just quite an interesting arrangement of the flowers. Somet- sometimes this little group of malaleucas are called claw flowers. Okay. Because um, all malaleucas tend to have five bundles of stamens. Mm. And these are... These are curved inwards, so okay. you get the five bundles of, of claw, claw-like flowers. But, um, yeah, a good, good, reliable plant. The only problem sometimes it might get webbing caterpillar in the foliage. So if you start to see your leaves getting clustered together and uh, and maybe browning off and stuff like that, that's probably webbing caterpillar. And the thing is just to put some gloves on, squash it all, and just pull it off is probably the easiest way of of looking after that. And you can prune you can prune it as well to open up the shrub a little bit more. Yeah, the webbing caterpillar likes it when it when the yeah, shrub is a little bit dense. Yeah. And and if it's in a, a sheltered yeah. you know, area too, if it's out in the open it's usually not as prone yeah. to that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have a caller, Alison from Bo Morris. Good morning yes, Alison. Hello, yes, I'm here. Hello. What's your question? It's about calistamins. Any recommendations for very hardy ones for difficult positions, um, such as um, 
where it gets very little morning sun, mm-hmm. one area, yeah. and although it's open enough in front of the house, and not too high growing, and also for another position which gets um, perhaps hot afternoon, late afternoon sun. Mm, okay. So any clusterments that are very hardy, um, low to medium height, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so and really reliable. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I suppose clusterments are really one of those good basic framework plants for, yes. for gardens in lots of ways because... Generally, they are pretty good. Um, when you're saying, what's your maximum height can you go? Uh, about six foot, or else could be trimmed. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, lots of options, Alison. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, there are. Um, for your hot, sunny spot... That's late afternoon sun. Late afternoon yes. sun. There is one called Callista Kings Park Special. Now, that yes. will need trimming. It, will, it can get... Quite large I used time. to have one. I know many years ago. Okay, right. so so that that that's a good reliable one. Uh, things like Callistemon subulatus in that group, and there's a few different selections. Uh-huh. There's one um, different thing, special anyway. The name's just gone. <laughs> um, but Callistemon subulatus, very narrow leaved plant. Yeah. Um, that would be good for there. And Callistemon Running River. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, that's good. And that can flower for... that, Even in summer, can can do very well flowering in summertime. So they're reds. Did you want all reds? Um, mm, I suppose, yeah, probably. Yeah, but okay. it doesn't matter terribly much. No. Is, um, it West, is it Western Glory and Perth Pink? Yeah, Perth Pink I like. Perth Pink, yeah, that, that's good. Um, and for that hot position... Yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll, they'll take that. Yes. Um, for one which doesn't get too much sun earlier, things like the subulatus would take that. There's yeah. One called Packer's Selection is what I was trying to think of before. That um, uh, that that would be good for, for that. Packer's Selection. Yeah, uh-huh. Packer's Selection is one. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's a good one. Narrow is that in the subulatus group? Sorry? Is that in the Yeah, sub- it is. It is. Yeah. 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 So that, that's fine. Uh, Gwen's going to say something. No, I was going to say, it mightn't have subulatus on the label. I'm no, not sure whether it would. No. But because there are so many colistamins yeah. and because they're just so jolly good, yeah. um, I think if you went along to your local nursery and asked them, you're not going to go very far wrong. Mm-hmm. There, there's a really old one. You don't see it around that much these days, but um, colistamin burgundy. Oh, yeah. Um, or Callistemon Eastland. Now, oh, they time. may be... Ha- Whereabouts do you live? Uh, Bow Morris. Bow yeah. So, uh, Sandy, so... Yeah, that's fine. I don't know if you ever travel up to a Mount no. Evelyn Karanga nursery Not talk. nowadays. No, no okay, no. But... Um, we are uh, not very mobile at the moment. Okay. Mm. But, uh, look, well, it's pretty, pretty hard to go wrong, yes. I think. But... Uh, yeah, just try that. I've had Little John. Yeah, Little John can be a bit variable in performance. Yes. Sometimes it'll flower well. Yeah. Other times it'll just look right. a massive grey-green. And clear for you, David. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so okay, thanks. Anyway, thanks. I, I think, you know, you've got some there to, to work on and uh, mm. you should be able to find something that works well. Good. Okay. Thank you. Good on you. Bye. Bye-bye.
Okay, that number again, if you'd like to uh, join us this morning. Um, as I said, we've got Gwen and Roger Elliott, we've got Penny Woodward, and we've got Chloe Foster in the studio. So do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Something I I, uh, caught my eye, um, a media release that's just come out. um, Port Phillip Council has teamed up with a small group of passionate residents to create a wildlife corridor in a residential street in Albert Park. Now, Mayor Dick Gross said the Wildlife Corridor, located within the wide central median strip on Dank Street, will provide important habitat for threatened wildlife and will enhance the health and longevity of existing large native trees. Now, the project works are due to be completed by the end of May and will involve the planting of 122 new native trees, 600 new indigenous plants and shrubs and the installation of 32 nesting boxes. And Albert Park College students will use the new wildlife corridor as an outdoor classroom and research project uh, using high-tech scientific methods to monitor animal populations and the health of native vegetation. What a fantastic idea, and I'd like to see some of the other um, councils around uh, Melbourne getting on board and and adding to that corridor. Yeah. Great idea. Be good. Because it's interesting, many moons ago, there used to be a CSIRO scientist, his name I forget, but he planted up, he tried, reforested South Melbourne and all sorts of things. Okay. And then it just went into all state of disrepair, I think. But, it, it, you know, a lot of that stuff was done, but it's great that that's being done now. Yes. Especially involving the students. Exactly. I think yeah. that, that puts a whole new dimension yeah, on yeah, it. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, I, was, I was really delighted to read that. So yeah, yeah. I might have to go for a drive down there when they've completed it and have a bit of a look. No, but, that's, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think with some of our new vertical schools too, they don't have the outdoor space so they're actually looking to use you know local council spaces in which to be able to you know have as part of their outdoor environment so it works it's a really good thing for the school as well as as well as for the environment because i was just reading actually this came out of norway would you believe but just they're very much alarmed in europe probably more so than here lack of insects and uh, over the last few years the populations have really decreased and they're just telling people in Norway, don't clean up any old bits of wood on your, your property. Mm. Just leave them there. And, uh, you know, don't try not to clean your yards up too much <laughs> um, because this is, you know, it's, insects need these places. And, um, and we need insects. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we do. do. Yeah. And, and there was also the... Um, work that was done by um, RQ while they were yes, still in existence yes. about native bees and yes. um, they found that our gardens at the moment are being really encouraging to honeybees because we have so many good flowering plants mm-hmm. and we're mulching the surface of our soils and doing all the right things yeah. but yeah. our native bees actually need open That's ground right. need so to do soil. their burrowing nests mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing you need to have spaces where you haven't mulched yeah. yes. and you you know my garden's full of them at the moment <laughs> so I feel very encouraged that yeah. I'm doing everything I can for native bees yeah, well, we but just had a, an email from a chap who lives down Mornington Way yesterday the day before and he's got blue banded bees in it uh, yeah, yeah I've had blue banded bees in my garden for a while yeah, now so for a few years um, so. you know, and that's yeah. the first time he's seen them so yeah. okay. you know, they are relatively new but yeah, yeah they've, yeah, they've so been around for a while good. 
But there's there's lots of reports coming in. Just yeah. uh, Field Naturalist Club of Victoria. I think the president, Max Campbell, he was saying that uh, he's a mad photographer of insects, and he said I've had hardly any, pho- yeah. you know, insects to photograph this summer. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And, and if you, I don't know if you've done any driving at dusk. You know, can you yeah, remember when we yeah. used to drive at dusk and mm. your whole windscreen would be smattered with yeah. That's insects? That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. You just don't it's get not that anymore. No. 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 It's no. you know they they are disappearing. No, that's right. And they're what keeps the world ticking over. They do. And there was even, I just showed um, Penny, there was a report uh, in in the agricultural world they um, use a lot of uh, pesticides and they're called neonicotinoid pesticides and uh, they found that they actually impair insects' ability to spot predators. So a lot of the good insects uh, these these things actually, the you know, the, they can't uh, can't find things right as they they go. So they're affecting them in that way. Uh, so you know, that that that's another another problem. So they uh, they collide with things and uh, they just don't know where they're going mm. when they're. So that's that's yeah, and uh, residues from those type of pesticides hang around for a long time. Um, and it's more than that too because it's the, when they're tested, like when the APVMA tests them, they look at it one particular part of whatever it is that you're using um, and they may say that you know under that level it's safe for all sorts of things but when you combine it with something else, it can the combination of the two things can be worse and just the sticking agent that they often use in those sort of pesticides mm. it can actually cause all sorts of problems for frogs in particular but for fish and um, and there was some recent research that showed that if you mix a pesticide with a fungicide which a lot of farmers routinely do so they don't have to go out and spray twice mm. it intensifies the result of both so that, that it actually makes them stronger which stronger than they need to be so that they're killing all sorts of things that, that don't need to be killed so there are all these side effects that nobody is bothered to, to even look at or test for. Mm. Following on from what Pam was saying and on the aspect of gardening and environmental awareness, uh, Gardening Australia had a very good segment on Friday evening uh, visiting the Collingwood Children's Farm. Mm-hmm. And that's repeated, I think, early this afternoon again on ABC. But, you know, that's been around for for Yongson still providing a very valuable service to people in this area. Definitely. Yep, for sure. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, we're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, so you've got a whole hour to uh, jump on the phones and give us a call. The number is 94190155. Okay. Roger, we might as well go to another plant. Oh, fine. We've brought in some finger lime fruits. Now, there's been quite a bit of a splurge of interest lately in in uh, the Australian native citrus and a lot of the hybrids that are originated from the Australian native citrus because they, they tend to tell us that um, citrus actually originated in Australia. Really? Way, really? Yeah, way back when. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and up in the tropics. All right. The tropics yeah. and, uh, so, finger lime is citrus australasica. Now, there's a various few different uh, varieties you can get in, in nurseries, different colours. This is one is a pinkish one. And if people haven't tried the actual fruit of 
finger limes. When you cut it, it's like caviar comes out. Have all you people tried here? Look, I'm not rich enough to have had caviar before. No, well, look, look, you, can, you can try some well, of this the caviar. The encyclopedias have obviously sold well. <laughs> um, but uh, the plant itself is extremely prickly, extremely prickly. And, uh, but they do pretty well. We, we've got ours in a water well pot, uh, and it's now as high as the, the ceiling here, which yep. is probably around about... You know, two and a half metres. Uh, we prune it back now and again. And uh, last year we had hardly any fruit on it. This year it's just laden with fruit. And uh, so if you want to try, you know, something different as far as fruit-wise, um, this one's called Rainforest Pearl. Um, it, it's really worth, worth trying. They can grow in semi-shade, but they do like a bit of sunshine. Sometimes the foliage can look rather daggy and yellow. Don't worry too much about it, but you can just give it a bit of citrus food uh, and that can, can help, um, you know, get it, get it going again. But um, the fruit themselves, they call finger lime because they like a finger. This is a very broad finger and it's probably um, oh, about seven centimetres long, three, three inches or so long and uh, about inch two and a half centimetres across and it's just full of these lovely little globules of juice and it, it's great on a hot day they're quite uh, they just burst in your mouth and people use them I heard of somebody talking about it might have been yesterday um, Joe Toscano on the 774 was saying that she puts them on eggs and the whole range of stuff mm. so uh, anyway Citrus Australasica the plant that you have, is it a grafted one? There you go. We're just going to talk about grafting. <laughs> I know. Good on you, um, This one is grafted, but I don't think they have to be grafted if you've got well-drained soils. I was going to say that, yes. As long as yeah. you've got a well-drained soil, yeah. you don't need to splash out for a grafted no, one. No, no. So um, I know growing friends at Cranbourne, they, they have non-grafted ones for sale at their plant sales usually. Um, and we, we had one in... Um, Montrose, which wasn't grafted, and uh, it grew slowly. But uh, the grafted ones, I think, you graft onto a regular citrus rootstock, mm. which is why they, you know, they yours in the self-watering pot mm-hmm. is probably doing, you know, particularly well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. if you've but got a non-grafted one, what are your advice for growing? Because I've got one in the garden that I think's probably, from hearing you, is in a slightly too shaded position. Yeah. Look, although I've Louis Glowinski the guru of growing rare fruits and stuff in Caulfield, he had his tree in a a fairly shaded area and it was probably four metres high. Yeah, because when I planted mine, I was basing it on one that I'd seen in the Burnley Garden um, that was in quite a shady position. So I thought, oh, well, I've got lots of shady positions. (laughs) I'll put it in there. Well, I've I've got two different varieties in pots, both in pots, and they're getting morning sun only but doing brilliantly. I mean, they're just laden with fruit. One is like your classic finger lime shape. The other one is a small, round, Mm. little oval one. They're both um, grafted, CSIRO grafted ones. Mm. Uh, But as I say, they're getting morning sun only. Yeah, because in... They're rainforest plants, the, yep. these fellows, and um, they are in shade. Mm. 
but uh, also you see them sometimes in fairly good light. So yeah, because there's also a desert lime, isn't there? Desert that, lime, that which like would have completely different yeah, that, that's conditions. Right. It, yep. it, it likes it drier mm. and uh, yeah, very well drained and more, a bit more mm. sun, and w- mm. warmth even very hot. Yeah. Although some people got it growing here in Melbourne. I think AB, she got glauco. I think she's got glauco fruiting. Kind of in a pot. Yeah, she, yeah, I think yeah. fruits. So, uh, yeah, so if you want to some, try something different, have a go. They're well worth the price too. Like they're not a cheap plant to buy, no. but to buy finger limes in the fruit shops, I've seen them for sale for $50 a kilo yeah, of fruit. Yeah, that's, right, that's right. So the plant might cost you 50 or $60, but you're going to get mm. a lot more. Mm. You're going to get a lot. Your money's quite, worth out of it. They're quite heavy. There's quite a lot of weight in it. Yeah, fruit. those ones you've bought in today are huge. They're some yeah. of the biggest mm. ones I've seen. So um, the one, the plant I bought from the Cranbourne Friends cost me nothing like that. <laughs> but it's not, a, it's not a grafted one. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but if you it, want yeah. some cheaper ones, uh, yeah. cut in there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the, I know the other one, Pam was mentioning, the, the globular one, yep. is um, sometimes called the red centre lime. Yes, and, that's uh, the one. And that can just produce... Just get oh, laden. Masses. Yes. I know ours yes. can be laden. I mean, so they were a bit slow in producing for the first couple of years, yeah, yeah. but but now I'm just getting massive fruit crops each year, including last year when Gwen was saying she didn't get many, but um, yeah. but I just had oh. So Pam, what do you what do you use yours for? Because you do need to use them very differently to other citrus. Um. On oysters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. If, if I were doing that, I wouldn't be eating very many of them. But I, I just, to me, they're the sort of thing that you can break open, you can sprinkle the, the you little birds on, on anything. anything. Yeah. So I throw them into salads, yeah. I put them onto toast if I'm yeah. having something savoury. I mean, with um, avocado, you know, yes. perfect. So anywhere where, where you would actually use a, a lemon, a citrus flavour, really, yeah. they're, they're incredibly versatile. If you're eating yeah. pavlovas, they're perfect yeah. pavlovas. And yeah. I mean, if you want to put them in a, in a gin and tonic or something, mm. um, all you have to do is, is you know, muddle them, you know. Scoop them scoop out. Them, scoop yeah. them out and squash them down a bit to really mm. increase that burst of flavour. But yeah. Um, yeah, they're incredibly versatile. Yeah. Put in marmalade for marmalade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you don't yeah. usually ske- um, squeeze them for juice. I think you know that's one of the main. No, no, no. I wouldn't yeah. normally. The variety yeah. that you have, Pam, is it? Does it have the pearls, um, or yeah. is it more citrus? No, it's more a citrus. It, yeah. it's more, when you cut it open, you see the little citrus yeah. veining yeah. inside, and it has very tiny pips seeds yeah. in it. Mm. That one, but um, the other finger lime is definitely yeah. has the um, you get odd pips in it, little but pearls. Not, not not very many. Yeah, yeah, but um, they're they're just I think they're fantastic and and no problems apart from the odd. I have had the odd um, citrus gall wasp on them, but yeah. easy to cut out. You've just got to keep an eye on them. Yep. The way we're using them at the moment, another plant that's doing very well in our garden. In fact, I think it's two plants is rhubarb. And if when you cook rhubarb you add lemon to it or something, you don't need as much sugar yep. um, or almost no sugar if you put lemon in. So now I, at the moment I've been putting cartwheels of um, okay. the finger lime, uh, skin and all, in with the rhubarb uh, and you boil it. And, well, the first time I, I just put big bits in and then we took them out before we served them and I thought I'll bother this. So um, if you just cut small cartwheels um, and put it in with the, the rhubarb, the 
skin cooks beautifully and mm. you don't even mm. realise. And it's a very thin skin, isn't it? So yeah. you it's should it's be able very to just firm, but it's yeah. thin and yep. it, it boils down to just a yep. texture of the rhubarb almost. Mm. That didn't make it any more bitter oh, by no. adding the skin? None at no, all. No, yep. no. No, because it doesn't have the pith. It's the pith that makes yeah. That's true, bitter. that's true, yeah. yes. Yep. It was very tasty, actually, okay. as it, after it was cooked yep. in, mm. in the rhubarb. It was yep. good. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. There is another citrus, too, we've, we've mentioned about three or four, but one called sunrise lime. Uh, they look a bit like kumquats, and I just eat them straight off the bush. They've got those in the Cranbourne Gardens. They've yeah, got a couple yeah, of bushes yeah. of that down and, in there. And they're slightly tart, but there's a bit of sweetness to them, and the skin is nice. And so you can just yum, yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen those fruits available in Coles uh, last year and maybe the year before. Uh, the, all the fruits were there at quite a high price, as Chloe said, but they were labelled as kumquats, spelt with a K. Mm. Oh. So I emailed Coles and told them, um, but didn't get any reply, Not but you might find them in Coles called kumquats, spelt with a K. Goodness me. <laughs> Why do we do that? How silly. <laughs> yeah, but I, I know there's um, a friend of ours. She's got quite a few plants of these growing in uh, uh, Berwick, she lives, and she supplies Oh My restaurant. Mm. All right. Chefs. Down there. The yes. Chef. And they, you know, and she, she does very well. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure. This, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so that's citrus, Australian citrus. Well, that's one sort of citrus, but we've got brought in another citrus too. A back another citrus? Well, oh. another lemon fragrance um, taste, bush food, and that's Bacchausia citriodora, um, the lemon myrtle. And this is fantastic because um, you can start eating the leaves the day you, you plant the, the plant almost. I used to pick the very soft young tips cut out the centre grain, centre vein and slice them and put them into marmalade um, and you just get little green flecks in your marmalade which is quite nice and at all it's lovely and then another alternative is to just get a branch and put it in the marmalade you know old leaves, young leaves, stems, the whole lot and then before you serve up your marmalade you just take out oh, sorry before you bottle your marmalade you take out the branches bit like you might do if you were putting mint in with your peas or something when you're cooking them, you know. But lovely lemon myrtle, you'll see that in all sorts of products, in biscuits and goodness knows what in restaurants and, um, and shops, food shops. But um, easy to grow. It can get to a, um, a small tree. Uh, ours never does. We keep pruning it. No, but mine's the same. I've got mine in quite a difficult spot, um, and I've had it in for five years now, and it's still only just over a metre high. Yeah, yeah. And and but I harvest the leaves. So one of the things that you can do is to harvest the old leaves, and um, and dry them, and then make turn them into powder. So uh-huh. you just powder them, powder yeah. them up, and That's you use idea. that to sprinkle over anything and yeah. everything. Cakes. Scones. Yes, cakes, scones. Um, Fish, chicken, yeah, you know, they're beautiful on baked chicken with yeah. lemon myrtle is absolutely yeah. beautiful. And well, you can just put whole leaves, and yeah. you don't even have to stuff the chicken. You can just put the leaves inside, yeah. and that's superb. So, and the flowers are really pretty. I have they're to, so you know, cute. remember each year how yeah. how lovely it is when yeah. it's in flower. I know the branch we or the bit we bought in's got 
the old spent the flowers. The old flowers, yeah. I, I wouldn't stick them in the marmalade. No, 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 no. But the flowers themselves, when yeah, they're in yeah, flower, it's, yeah. it's a very attractive oh, shrub yeah. to have in yeah. the garden. Mm. You don't, you're not just growing it for the leaves. Nice, sweetly scented flowers too. Yeah, so it's a, yeah. It's a, it's a good plant. It's pretty. You know, you can keep it like yours, to yep. a meter as a hedge. There's no yep. problem. I know when we had a, uh, a nursery we, for our stock plants, we used to keep mm. them as a hedge, mm. less than a meter high. I've got mine in a really um, heavy soil, hard clay spot in the garden, mm. and it's. It's not even a metre, and it's probably been there for almost five yeah, years. Yeah, same. Well, my well. soil's yeah. heavy too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So they're tough. They're, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't like heavy frost when they're living. No. no. So well, that, that plant uh, this year, last year, got burnt, you know, the whole, mm. just got most of the foliage. We waited till the frost gone, pruned it back, and then it, it, it just all came, came back again. Back yep. But if you get really, really heavy frost, it'll be, you'll be in trouble. Mm. But uh, just now and again's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have another caller. Good morning, Pam from Kyneton. Good morning, everybody. I'm sitting here reminiscing (laughs) about my beautiful lemon myrtle (laughs) I had in Melbourne. You'd have a bit of a problem up there, Pam. You'd have to put it underneath your veranda. Yeah, it's even cocks colder up there than the rest of the place. I had a beautiful one in Melbourne. I used to absolutely love it, and it grew beautifully. So, yes, I did something right down there. And and the other thing, I was listening to Gwen talking about her rhubarb. Well, I've had rhubarb beautiful every year, but this year, off with no rain, no water, and our soil as dry as it is, Mm. my rhubarb's just gone right down i guess once we get rain it'll, it'll come, come back, back up it'll come back mine's done exactly the same thing yes i guess it will it's just that i've never ever seen it go down the way it has yeah year. and of course we've got less rain you know less water you're always being careful with your water yep. it is extremely dry up here like i've never seen mm. it ever before mm. not good anyway Garlic. I was ringing to talk to Penny about garlic. I heard her say something about not getting it in yet. Is that right, Penny? Oh, look, for me, it's it's almost a convenience thing because if you plant it now, you're going to have to water it. So um, yes. a lot of people have this idea, and, and one of the problems people had last year was that it was such a dry winter and people didn't water their garlic. So they ended up with very small bulbs because there's this idea that once you plant garlic, you don't have to water it, and that's fine if you're getting regular winter rain, mm. but if you're not, then you need to water it. So um, I'm, I'm holding off planting mine because my, my garden is just so dry and I've got so much already to look after. I don't want mm. to look after my garlic as well. Mm. Um, I, I was just wondering how, because I've never, ever left my garlic this late. Yep. Like going through my diary, I always had it, the latest was about the 15th of April. Okay. I put it in one year. What? And I'm wondering, up here, we've already had a lot of frost. Mm. I'm all wondering, you know, maybe I might get it. I'll, but I do have to water it. I mean, the whole thing is the garden beds are so dry, I mm. need to water the garden bed before I even put it in. Won't Indeed. I? I put it yes, gar- you will. And look, the other soil. thing I would do with garlic this year before you plant it is mm. the... Um, you should never crack, you know, pull your garlic bulbs apart until you're actually about to plant. Yes, yeah, so um, I realised that. This year I would do that the night before oh, and, really? and soak it overnight in a yes. seaweed extract solution. Yes. 
Um, okay. And that will get the roots started much sooner. So one of the problems with, with garlic is if the garlic sits in the soil for too long without mm. sprouting, mm. Um, they can rot in the soil. Uh, so right, yeah. by giving by putting them in the seaweed overnight, you'll get some um, root growth much earlier, which will mean that, that they'll take off better. So okay. in, a, in a tough year, that's a, that's a good thing to try okay. and do. But look, the timing, um, and I've actually written about this in the latest edition of Organic Gardener magazine, mm. depends on what variety you're growing. So if you've got a turban cultivar that you usually plant, so if you've got something like Tasmanian purple or... That red uh, one, which I've been planting of my own seed for the last 15 years. Yeah, okay. So, so when you say red, it, it it's red when it comes out of the soil, so the skin is red and with, with sort of a red stripe on it. Yes, is that what you're talking colour. about? And they're large cloves. They're yeah. always good sized cloves. But when it's cured, it's a purple stripe. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's more. Once I take all the skin off it, it's just white. Okay. Um. What colour are the cloves? They're sort of like a a, a whitish colour, but they've got that red stripe on them. You know. Okay. Like the, the before they've been peeled off. Yeah. And um, does it put up a put up a scape? Uh, sometimes, do you okay. know? All right, it sounds like a turban to me, and they're one of the early planted ones. So yeah. I would actually get those into the soil before the end of April. Yeah. Um, if you've got things like creoles and some of the later mid, mid to late season garlics, then they can yeah. go in in May or even into June. All right, so um, I am going to try some different ones. We I've swapped bulbs yep. with a girl up the street, and, yep. she, and hers are white and smaller. Yeah, um, and, so and are the I, cloves a bright burgundy colour? No, hers are just white, white or, well, mine's got the purple stripe on the skin. Okay. They're, hers are all white. It's probably an artichoke in that case, yeah. um, which means it doesn't put up escape. And yeah. depending on which artichoke it is, it's, they're more a mid-season garlic, so you could yeah. wait and put those in in May if you wanted to. Oh, good. Okay. Yep, that'll okay. be great. But I'll get mine in. I'd get your turbans in, now. and you, you're just going to need to water them, I'm afraid. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Good Jen, luck. Thank you. You're no a lot of information. I appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. bye. And we have our next caller. Good morning, Ruth from East Q. Good morning. I have a question about Jerusalem artichokes. I have quite a few this year, um, but some are going green. And I've dug them up. Are they still edible, or are they like potatoes? And um, my understanding with Jerusalem artichokes is that they're not like potatoes, so this is not cyanide in them. This is this is different. This is usually, if and the same applies to um, sometimes garlic goes green like this. Um, and it's about photosynthesis and the thing they're starting to, you know, yeah, photosynthesize and grow. Yeah, they're starting to I don't really need more. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I would just be planting them now. You'd be planting them or the green ones? Oh, uh, yeah, um, well, yes, yeah, if you want to keep them. Yeah. Because the flavour's not, once they go green, the flavour's not as good. So so although I don't think they're... they're um, I don't think they're a problem as far as eating. I don't think the flavour is as good. So I wouldn't be eating them. And, and one way of storing them is just to put them in the ground. Yep. Um, and they will then sprout when they're ready to sprout. Okay. So, but it depends whether you've left some in the ground anyway. I always end up leaving some oh, in the ground. Some always get left in the ground yeah. no matter yes. what. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Okay, thank you very much. It's all right, pleasure. Mm -hmm. Penny, you've brought in a plant there. I've brought in two plants. Okay, Um, let's have a chat. One of them is is this one. I'm sorry I didn't get in in time to photograph it. I haven't quite worked out this system. Um, but there's been some recent research and I about marigolds, and these are the Tagetes marigolds, yes. so T-A-G-E-T-E-S, um, Patula, the French or, or African marigolds. The one I'm holding in my hand is actually uh, the tree marigold, which is Tagetes lemoni. The research was done on the, on the Tagetes patula um, marigold, but it covers this whole um, genera of marigolds. And they found that in the leaves there's a chemical called limonene, and um, they found that when they grew them with tomatoes, um, they repelled whitefly. So, and, it, and it's the limonene in the, in the plants that is repelling the whitefly. So they're now, they've been testing the actual oil that's extracted from the, from the limonene from the plants and um, finding that it will keep whitefly away from tomatoes. So um, the one that I've got here, the tree marigold, is actually called um, uh, Tagetes limon... Uh, no, yes, it's... I'm just trying to remember the botanical name. It is limonene, isn't it? I think that's what... Yeah, I think yeah. that's what you said at the start. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, chem, the name of the chemical is slightly different, so I'll, I'll just think about turning that over in the back of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's, morning, it's, very Penny, simi- it's very similar in name. Um, but anyway, the, the thing is that it repels white flight. So uh, this year I had white flight all over my tomatoes, um, and I just sort of put up with it, and, and it did damage the plants, but I still got buckets of tomatoes, so it wasn't really a problem. But next year I will be planting Tagetes patula, all around in between my tomatoes. And because they're tiny plants, they're not very big, they're not going to interfere with the growth of the tomatoes. Um, So rather than just putting them in as a border or nearby, which a lot of people do anyway to help with um, pests in general, but they're also really good for nematodes in the soil and for um, helping to sterilise the soil. Um, I will be putting them in for what to try and keep white fly away. So I just thought I'd mention that um, while it was while I was thinking about it. So, um, but although this the tree um, marigold was a really good pest repellent plant in the garden, it's quite tall growing, so it would form too much. It would be too much of competition for um, for your tomato plants. So you putting the small ones in, um, I think is a really is a really good idea. This is. Um, this marigold is also known as um, uh, passion fruit marigold. Can you, I can you smell, can the smell it. That's yeah. what I, I, I walked in with I thought this. I was crazy. Last, yeah, <laughs> I've walked in with this last because it doesn't smell like passion fruit to me at all. No. I walked in with if it last night, and my husband and my husband too. said, "Where are the passion fruit?" Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just putting it in yeah. some water for, t- yeah. for this morning. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's more of a tangerine almost yeah. smell. Yeah. Yeah. So you it's quite a, a citrusy, fruity. Smell. Some people find it overpowering. They do. So they do. If you're finding it overpowering, I'm happy no, to take no, it no, outside. That's, that's lovely. Um, but you can just cut that back as hard as you want. You can, and things. you can plant it anywhere, and it mm. will grow without water. Mm. And that. but it doesn't become weedy. I've never known mm. itself no, so no. in the garden. Mm. It grows as a as a shrub, and yeah. I've actually got it mixed up with some kangaroo paws, and okay. it looks amazing yeah. with mm. the, with yeah. the two of them together. Yeah. Um, you, do we know if if um, any other plant group has Contains limonene as well. Limonium. Limonium. Yes. That's what it is. The limonene is the name of the the plant. Tagetes limonene. That sounds right. Limonium is the chemical. Yep. Um, They didn't say in this article. This is. It was only in the last 
month oh, that okay. this came up. Um, yeah, just, it, yeah, it's it, actually yeah. up on the on my Facebook page if you want to find out more yeah. about it. So okay. you can you can um, have a look and and read more about it. But right. yeah, so it's really nice to see something that you've sort of been using anyway um, actually get proof, you know, scientific yes, proof exactly. that, it's, that it's a really useful plant. Yeah, excellent. Um, and the other one that I brought in is this one, which is um, mushroom plant. Which um, doesn't look like a mushroom. It it's <laughs> doesn't look anything like it's a mushroom. Not a fungi. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it tastes like mushroom though. So I'm going to pass leaves around to everyone. Yeah. You all have to taste it because I think it has a distinct it's, it's mushroom flavour. It's not hallucinogenic. It's not it? hallucinogenic or anything <laughs> like that. It's actually a New Guinea plant, and it's called it's Rungia clossii, is its botanical name. And um, you just pick the leaves mm. and put them into salads. And mm. I had it growing in a pot. Um, it doesn't it doesn't cope well with a with a heavy frost, um, but I had it growing in a, a pot in my garden for about four years, and then it sort of didn't get watered for a little while, and and it died. But it will do well in in Victoria in gardens in Victoria. So, but I'd get it growing in a pot first, and it has quite a pretty blue flower when it when it's in flower. So, and it's just lovely in salads. So that's the main way of of using it. Yes, um, and what's its botanical name? Run, Rungia, R-U-N-G-I-A, Clossii, K-L-O-S-S-I-I. It does taste like mushroom. Yeah, yeah. I think it does. I've it's had other people mushroom, eat right? it and say it doesn't taste anything it like mushroom. It would be great in salads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it has a really nice texture yeah. as well. So. Yeah. No, it's been around for a while, but it's never really taken off. Um, and these guys, this is this is from um, Renaissance, Renaissance, Renaissance. Yeah. who do they're a wholesaler who do a range. So a you can probably just get it in big box. Uh, you know, hardware stores um, like Bunnings and yes. stuff, but um, lo- local nurseries will probably have it as well mm. if you're looking for it. But um, look for them in the yellow pots because that's the Renaissance herbs does them in those pots. Okay. So it's well worth well worth getting one and, and mm. easy to grow. But I'd grow it first of all in a pot until you see whether it's suitable to your climate. So it doesn't have to be a really big pot. But it looks like it might be frost tender. Yeah, that's yeah. what. It, yeah. yeah. So I'm 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 by the sea, so I don't get frosts. Yeah. Um, which is why, but I put it in a pot to start off with, and it did really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you put it in a pot in a sheltered position, but it does actually come from the highlands in New Guinea. Oh yeah. So it gets pretty cold yeah. up yes, there. Okay. So it has some cold tolerance, but whether it has frost tolerance, I haven't worked out. Yeah. Because right. I don't get frost. Yeah. But give it a go. Yeah. It's terrific. Okay. Great. We have another caller. Good morning, Barbara from Brunswick. Oh, hello, Brunswick West. Sorry. Um, I wanted to ask you, I discovered some garden people in, in, I live opposite a park um, and a nursery, so there's often garden people doing things, contractors. Anyway, to cut a long story short, they were using Roundup and they were spraying it liberally and there's um, a vegetable garden in the park mm-hmm. and a food forest. And I just wondered... Um, is that alarming? I, I was alarmed, but is the consensus of opinion about... When, when I inquired, the worker said, oh, we've got so much to do, we just have to resort to this. But funnily enough, later on at a bus stop, I saw another worker spraying, and I asked him, and, I, and he said, oh, this is Slasher. It's a fully organic product. Yes, yeah. Mm. Uh, is there someone, who, like, 
should I be alarmed? Because the Roundup is like really near where I live. It's sort of standard practice for councils to use Roundup liberally, but oh. it is a little, you know, it is alarming to people who don't, you know, know the effects that pesticides can have yeah. on the environment and people. I personally find it very alarming, particularly if it's been sprayed um, close to um, edible plants. Yeah. I and find that look, very I'd, alarming. I'd actually be very alarmed for the workers as well because yes, so the, the people, the court cases that have been brought in the mm. US have been by people who've been told that it's a safe mm. um, plant to uh, use. Well, that would have they've, been a good thing to tell them. They've ended up with, with cancer um, and they've had multi-million dollar settlements against yes. the company. Mm. Yep. Wow. And, and the, the, thing that, the thing that worries me about Roundup, uh, well, about glyphosate, I think we should probably use yes, the, the, yes, the, the, the chemical ingredient. name, the active ingredient. The thing that yeah. worries me about glyphosate is that it ha- it is actually, if you have to use a herbicide, it's one of the safer ones. But what they have done is to persuade people that it is so safe that it can be used anywhere. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's not. And, and there is well, it's now... it's right next to a nursery. Yeah. yeah. Tiny yes. little yeah. children coming in and out but the But there's now evidence that it's used so universally that you're actually finding glyphosate in people's urine. Mm. So because it's found on all sorts of things and we're eating it and mm. we're absorbing it in the environment. And, mm. and so would you tell the local council? I'd talk I to would. the council. Yep. And, yeah. and there are alternatives. So there is, there is the echo-organic the slasher, slasher yes. but there's also a council that steam weeds. So they yep. actually use a steam machine um, that superheats the weeds. Yep. They just spray it mm, um, yeah. and, and kill the weeds that way mm. without having well, to use anything else. The same way else. that you'd use the kettle, kettle yeah, water to, the to kill some weeds out yes. in the garden. That's yep. what the steaming does. Yep. Well, I think councils will listen. I do think Penny's right. Um, she's hit the nail on the head. But I think councils might take more notice if they think there's problems that some of their contracted workers might actually... Um, end up with, with some sort of side effect from it because then they would be liable. Be and, liable and I think that yeah. needs to be pointed out to them. And, and because yeah. there are alternatives available, um, yes, I can, I, well, we can't emphasise I mean, it I, enough. Yeah. Can I was, I, I'd like to thank you too for that item on the, um, the wild the corridor, the wildlife corridor. Oh, right. Um, because the, that's what I, I've been trying to talk to people about wildflowers and, and insect-friendly environments. Mm. Mm. Unfortunately, my park close by is mainly for a soccer field. The garden's kind of tacked on the edge and then the nursery's on the edge of that. Um, can, I, if, you, if you want some information to back up if you're going to council, if you go to your local library, yeah. the March-April edition of Organic Gardener, the ABC's Organic Gardener magazine, has an article right. in it by Kerry Gilliam oh, all gosh. about Roundup. Uh, uh, all about glyphosate. So what and was the title of that again? It's Organic Gardener magazine, Organic which is published Gardener by magazine. the ABC. Most libraries have copies. Yep. Um, and this, because it's the, the March-April issue, not the current issue, right. you should so be you able to it. borrow yeah. it or at least photocopy, photocopy it from uh, the, yeah, at the library. Excellent, yeah. And, um, yeah. and if you can't, shoot me an email and I'll photocopy it for you. Oh, thank and you send so it much. to you. So, thank do you want you. my email? Yeah. Well, we have to be um, participatory citizens in this world. At Indeed. Because the there's so little compliance. I find. Mm. You know, in in uh, so many areas. Yeah. So we see glyph- glyphosate's show. legal, but it's not safe. 
No, it isn't, is it? I see. No. I thought, oh, why isn't other people reacting? And I mm. just talked to neighbours and things, and I thought I'll just tell the council. Yeah. Yeah. Good on so you. thank you for confirming that. All right, bye Excellent. now. Bye-bye. Okay, that number again. Uh, we are running through until 9.15, so you've got uh, about uh, 20 minutes or so to uh, jump on the phones. The number is 94190155. And let's go to our next caller. Ken from Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody. What a wonderful program. I always say that, but it is. <laughs> and um, your knowledge is just absolutely fantastic. And my, my garden dance, uh, with all your advice, and my garden dances around. <laughs> but what, what I wanted to ring up about was uh, uh, 24D. Uh-huh. 24D yep. was one of the components mixed with Agent Orange. Yes. Yep. And when the wind blows, it goes, can go 80 kilometres. Yep. Whichever way the wind's blowing. Mm. <clears throat> There's a place called New Farm Chemical, which produces it. And we've had, we had huge battles because they wanted to put all the noxious trade in Victoria in the western suburbs. Yep. And I led a group called the Sunshine Action Group, and we actually beat them. And um, I'm so pleased that we did. But the thing is that... Um, that's how, that's how dangerous it is, and that's, that's all I wanted to say. And what a great program. Keep it all up. All good up. on you, Ken. I'll keep you until you come back good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Bye. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Ken. Bye, Ken. Bye. As I said, that number, if you'd like to join us before the end of the program, 94190155. We do have Gwen and Roger Elliott, Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you. Nine four one nine zero one double five. We've got a couple more plants that you've brought in, Roger. Fine, brought in Coria, Coria reflexa. So it's C O R R E A, and reflexa is R E F L E X A. Now Coria reflexa in Victoria would probably be one of the most variable plants that can come across. I think alongside with maybe Grevillea alpina. Um, there are a huge number of different variations in Coria reflexa. The one we've brought in is one of the low-growing coastal selections, small red with green tip bells, flared tips, um, starting to flower. Now, a lot of the Corias do flower through autumn and winter, and this one is just starting to burst, and there is just literally hun- on a branch, probably around about, I don't know, 20 centimetres long, maybe. Um, there's literally hundreds of flower buds coming, coming, th- coming through. Mm-hmm. And so they're just coming, keep coming, and uh, a lot of these Corias, tubular flowers, so things like spinebills, New Holland honey eaters, and even some uh, we have little wattle birds just wandering around the ground, uh, just sticking their beaks in and getting nectar from them so they're, they're really good for, for that sort of thing uh, sometimes you will find little holes up the top of the bells uh, which are actually bees mm. uh, or even wasps for that matter too they go in the top and uh, so they tend to rob, rob the nectar that way. So really important for our native insect populations Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good for insects and uh, so this one grows probably less, well, 
less than a metre, probably two-thirds of a metre, that's like 60 centimetres or so, and will spread around about one, maybe one and a half metres across. And uh, they do like a bit of sunshine, but it's quite happy in a bit of shade too. And it grows in a whole range of different soils, as long as it doesn't get waterlogged. Corias are in the citrus family, and, uh, you know, citrus don't like getting waterlogged. They'll get collar rot, and so will corias mm-hmm. if they get too too wet. So, But uh, there's a whole range of different ones. Corya flexor, you can get great big long, uh, long bells, thin bells. You know, some plants might get up to two metres plus in height. Um, if you go to a nursery this time of year, you'll see a whole range of different ones there, and you could work out what you want. Mm-hmm. They're not always red and green tips sometimes you'll get the creamy yellowy green flowers on some of the ones low growing forms too um, but also Coria glabra is another good Coria that tolerates heavy soils um, usually more in the greenish colour of flowers mm. but sometimes mm. it's red too um, glossy leaves Coria glabra's great hedge um, can keep it down. I know some people near where we live have it probably around about 30 centimetres high, uh, Coria glabra hedge. Right. Tight mm-hmm. as That's tight as tight. tight. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do it regularly, and and the, all the flowers are just sitting on the outside now, and the birds get in there. So it's I, a, I've got two Coria glabra in front of where, um, in front of our carport. So yeah. whenever I drive my car in, they're both over a metre high, yeah. really dense foliage because I've never cut them back. Yeah. Whenever I drive the car in, I always sit there for a couple of minutes just looking at what's in there yeah, because it's yeah. always got birds or insects yeah. or something else in the. It's a hive of activity, mm. and um, it's just such a. They're such precious plants in the garden, and they're. they're I like. I love the glabra because of the glossy, glossy dark green leaves. Really yeah, so it's a really. Leaves. It's a really nice plant. Yeah. So. We've got Glabra right near our front window, and Friday morning, Roger called me. Said, "Come in here quietly." And here, just under, the, just on the edge of, on lawn near the Coria Glabra, was the Easter Bunny. He <laughs> <laughs> had very big ears, and it's a hare that sort of lives okay. in our area and hops around the neighbourhood. But that was, right. But another, I mean, there are a couple of other Corias I was going to mention before the Easter Bunny came along. One is Coria Pulkella. Pulkella means beautiful. It's from South Australia, and Roger can mention more about that. But that's in lots of very bright oranges and reds, and, and they the hybridise. And the other one, worth a mention, is another green-flowered one called the Chef's Cap Coria. And it's a bell with a flat top on it, okay. like a chef's cap. Mm. But one of the things about that one, which not everybody realises, if you crust the foliage, it has a lovely fragrance of juicy fruit chewing gum, if you like juicy fruit <laughs> chewing gum. Can you still get juicy fruit chewing gum? Yes, still can. can. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Just that you don't. No. You're not allowed it anymore, though. That's no, no. But Coriopulcala, excellent. Uh, I think you mentioned maybe last week. Were you I bought in Amber Chimes yeah, you, last time I was You mentioned yeah. Ring-a-Ding-a-Ling. Yes. <laughs> which is a dreadful name, but it's a fantastic it's a great. That's a great oh, little Coria, isn't it? Yeah. And it's yeah. similar to Autumn Blaze. Autumn Blaze yeah. is a Pulchella, yeah. and yeah. they're yeah. so, so tough. Yeah. So if people are ever travelling across to South Australia, make sure you go to Coffin Bay, and you'll see just so many different forms of Coria Pulchella there. Mm. Some will be in quite dense shade, 
Others will be out right on the edge of the beach where they're tiny, tiny little plants. But, uh, you know, if, you, if you're over that way on the uh, Air Peninsula, Coffin Bay, yeah. have a look for Coriopul Calla. Do you know what species dusky bells comes from? Is that Pulcalla cross? Yeah, it's probably, probably a Pulcalla cross with the Manio, I think. Ah, right. It's, it's just one that came up years ago. Dusky bells is one of my favourite Coriopul because it flowers in, it grows in the driest of conditions and flowers in in almost full shade. I've got it mm. at, um, at my mum and dad's place next to the, the front door that's undercover, under veranda, and doesn't get any direct sunlight. Mm. And it flowers and it, gro- like it grows. We've never, ever been able to have anything grow in that spot before. Yeah, okay. Just a no, tiny little garden bed. It's quite shallow as well. Yeah, and it a, just, the corries are just, they're such, mm. a, they're such a fantastic mm. group of plants. Yeah, no, that, that's good. Sometimes I know in the previous 10-year drought that we had, some of the, the corriers didn't do too well because mm. most of the corriers, well, nearly all, are grown from cuttings. And therefore, if they haven't developed a good root system, yeah. sometimes if people have been watering them too much... Can they uh, have shallow root systems yeah, they generally? Can, they, they can do. Yeah. yeah. So that's just one of the things to, uh, to, to watch out. You know. So if, you, if you're planting them, uh, give them a good deep soak, but don't do it too regularly. Yeah, right, and don't let them sit in water. No. Yeah. Okay, and we've got Mandy. Good morning, Mandy from East Ringwood. Yes, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I'm Thanks a for waiting. I'm a first-time caller. Oh, welcome. And <laughs> ever to a talkback show. So <laughs> <laughs> I've recently retired, so maybe I've got a bit more time. Oh, <laughs> maybe. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, My question is about two dwarf um, uh, stone fruit trees. So one is a peach and one is a nectarine. They're fairly young trees, so the nectarine's about four years old. I planted them, and the peach is about three years old. Uh, Now, every year now, for the last uh, couple of years at least, um, they're developing that leaf curl. Mm. And I've been putting uh, the copper fungicide spray on, yep. but uh, I'm just not sure if I'm applying that properly or if I should be doing something else because it says apply it um, when the buds burst or are about to burst, and I'm not sure if I'm interpreting that term properly. I'm just wondering if you've got any clues because they're lovely looking trees the rest even through this dry period Mm. you know look there's a couple of things that you can do as well as um using the copper scrape copper spray bud burst means you actually need to do it before the flowers open properly so you just the buds are forming pink bud stage yeah pink bud stage oh so when you can see a bit of color yeah just starting just starting really but and no later than that um and 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 copper sprays are okay, but you do need to be aware of the fact that if you're spraying with copper, it is also getting into the soil and killing the fungi in the soil as well. So, oh, really? um, so if you if you after you've sprayed, it's quite a good idea to put some compost over the top to get okay. some of those fungi back into the soil, the the good fungi that we need in the soil. Okay. Sure. Um, but the other thing that you can do is if you if it's not. Um, Peach leaf curl is is quite um, each year. It can be worse or better. 
So so you can have a bad year and you can have a good year. So if it's not a bad year, you can actually control can control it by just removing the curled leaves from the tree. Yes, I've tried everything. I've tried cutting it, you know, back quite drastically. And even now, I can if I examine closely, I can see the black bits <laughs> left on top of um, the branch, you know, right at the stub, if you know what I mean. Yeah, look... Yeah. Uh, so, so the, as I said, the copper spray will help with that. But if yes. it's if once once the buds have burst and the leaves have developed, yes. you're not going to spraying it won't help. So okay. um, that's at that point where I remove the affected leaves. And obviously, sure. if it's a really bad year, you will struggle to do that because you then won't have enough leaves to produce the to support the fruit that are growing on the tree. But if it's one of the years where it's not such a bad year, you will actually keep it under control just by removing the leaves. Okay, sure. So would I just apply that copper spray, um, if need be, once in the, you know... In just a, just um, do it Just do it at bud burst. At just once? Yeah, just once. Yes, because it seems to be a problem that's actually getting worse each year in my garden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the problem is that you've probably got neighbours who are not doing the same with their trees. Oh, um, okay. So it, it's, you know, it's a, it, depending on what where you are and how close yeah. your neighbours are and what they're doing with their trees, that can affect sure. what happens with your trees. Okay. So you think um, keep going with the spray? Yeah. Or yeah, no, I'd, okay. I'd, I would use, I'd use the copper spray again this year if, yes. if you had a bad year with it this year. Yes. Um, and then um, I would remove any leaves that appear um, okay, that sure. are affected. Yes, that sounds great. And just one last thing, just a comment. You were talking about insects. We've got a young garden. It was just a blank slate in the back garden, especially when we moved in 10 years ago. And I planted mainly productive fruit trees. But there was one tree that was here already, and it was a locust. Yep. And I'd say it's pretty well mature size. Yeah. Uh, but that has so many bees on it. Mm. Yeah, mm. like yesterday, you know, right up to um, dusk yeah. <laughs> from morning to night. Yeah. So that must be doing something for the local Absolutely. area. Yes. yes. Yeah, so great to, that you kept it. Oh, yes. It's actually a very pretty tree. Yep. I don't like the locusts, so. Oh. Okay. I was going to say, do you eat the fruit? Because I, I think locusts. they're, yeah, me yes, too. I like it. Yeah. I have to find a use, I suppose. Yeah. They seem yeah. mainly stone to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for your help. Okay. All right. I'll try that out. Thank you. Bye. And let's go to Sharon. Good morning, Sharon. What's your question? My question is uh, splitting grapefruits. My grapefruit tree is quite big. Um, last year I had no grapefruits. This year I've got heaps and heaps of them, but the odd one is splitting. Why would that be? Usually when you get splitting in fruit, it's to do with um, too much water because oh. it actually the water, the liquid builds up inside and the skin's already sort of set and the liquid gets too much and it splits. So are you doing a lot of watering? Yeah, but not just a light shout on my garden it's a courtyard garden and okay. I never thought I was giving it enough actually because all the leaves are a bit droopy and some are curling yeah. 
Uh, look, it's hard to know without seeing the tree, particularly with citrus, because you can get um, curling and droopy leaves from overwatering and from underwatering. And curling leaves at the moment but from the leaf miner. Yes, yeah, so that, oh. that could be causing that as well. Yeah. Can okay. it be sort of inconsistent watering? Yes, I was you know, going to say irregular watering. The fruit, the yeah. skin or um, outer layer dries yeah. when yeah. it's a bit dry, and then it gets a burst of water, yes. either yours or rain, if we got rain. Uh, and then the inner tries to yeah. swell and can't yeah. get through the skin. So I, I guess the answer is that it's it's not something that you really need to particularly worry about. Mm. I would okay. just remove the fruit that are splitting because any split fruit are, are going to attract disease. So right. I would get them off the tree, sacrifice them. If you've got lots of other fruit, just concentrate on the fruit that haven't split. Eat them. Um, oh. And eat them if they're ripe, but I was assuming that maybe yeah. they're not completely ripe. No, 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 yeah. they're still green. Yeah. Last year they were so prolific, um, a friend made jam and won second prize in the Melbourne show. Oh, oh there so. you go. It's very exciting. <laughs> they're rather special grapes yeah, that good. I'm really watching. But, oh, that's great news. Thank you very much for the advice. Love your show. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Happy Sharon. Easter, everybody. Yeah, Happy same Easter. to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, I think we... No, that's fine. Um, we've had a comment up there on the screen. That second one that's just come through. Can you see what that one is, Chloe? Whorehound under fruit trees will help with leaf curl? Yeah, look, there's, I, I nearly... Whorehound is a, is a, a, a weed in some sheep areas um, and it's, it's also a medicinal herb. Right. And there are a few... I nearly talked about that, but I, I, I'm not convinced of it, that things like nasturtiums under some fruit trees may help reduce the amount of leaf curl. Mm-hmm. Hanging mallow in the branches of the tree um, is supposed to reduce leaf curl. As a scientific person, I, I find some of these a bit hard to... Um, yeah, because leaf curl is a fungus. It's a fungus, yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. Um, But I can see no reason for not trying it if you want to. Yeah. Um, so the wild mallows that you can just find in yeah. park, you know, so you pull a few up and hang them up in your in your nectarine. And adding eat, any eat sort fruits. of... Eat fruit. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, um, and so, and whorehand may well help, yeah. um, but it's not something that I've tried. And any sort of extra biodiversity in a fruit garden or veggie Indeed. patch is, yes. is what all thing those to aim sort of for. things. And yeah. and trying to um, the sort of the normal hygiene. So if you're using secateurs on a tree that's had yeah. had leaf curl, you don't want to take them over and use them on the next one without cleaning them. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to spread it from one tree to another. Right. Um, and keeping a bit of air movement around the tree so that they're not too enclosed mm-hmm. um, so, and because still air is what is what mm. fungal disease is. And so. raking up the dropped leaves as Indeed. well and cleaning yes. up. If you've got mulch underneath, yeah. you could put, rake that off and put some put fresh some mulch Put some fresh down. mulch to stop splash yep. from the soil up to the, up to the leaves, the yeah. plant. I should have said all that, but yes. That's all right. We're <laughs> having a conversation yeah, now. That's right. <laughs> okay. Let's go to our next caller. Good morning, Gloria. Oh, good morning. Um, well, firstly, I want to speak to Penny, but I just, I just went out to my cherry guava tree. And, oh, God. It's so wonderful to just go out in the morning and just pick them off the tree. So if anybody wants a nice little fruit tree that doesn't cause any trouble, cherry guavas are wonderful. I agree with but, you. Absolutely. I love my cherry guava. It's a terrific. And the fruit is delicious. It's a little bit small this year, but <laughs> yes. And it's probably lack of water. Um, lavender. Uh, 
penny. Yep. Uh, I've got lavender right, at the, right along my... I've got these slaughter ceiling windows and uh, along the north windows, yep. I've got the lavender right. But what's the life um, of lavenders? There are low-growing ones where I've got them there, fairly low-growing. Can, t- can you tell me which lavender it is, whether it's an English or a French oh. or a Spanish oh. or a... Oh. No? <laughs> okay, uh, no. Okay, look, um, really lavenders... I got, on, I got one on the west fence that I've just let grow and it's about nine feet tall, would you believe? Okay. But these ones along the uh, north window are maybe uh, two feet tall. When, when do they flower? Uh, well, they've flowered and they've got... And I haven't pruned the, the dead flowers off yet. Okay, so they sound like they might be English lavender. Um, that was my that was my question about pruning. Yeah, you need to you need yeah, to prune exactly. them when they finish flowering. If they're English lavenders, most English lavenders only flower once. If you've got French lavenders, they can flower for up to twelve months. Um, and so you just prune those when it suits you. I generally do them in the middle of summer um, when there are a lot of other things in flower, so that they then go on flowering right through winter. Um, if they're the Spanish lavenders, they generally flower in spring, um, Spanish and, and Italian lavenders, um, and you would prune them in summer. So it depends so, which one they are. So would you prune, the ones I'm looking at right now, um, would you prune them through, uh, like just prune the tops of them or just the... Prune the, prune the dead flowers, stems and tip prune the leaves. So right. don't, go, don't go too heavily into the plant at this time of year. And I have to tell you, I just thought of this. I've got one uh, in a pot at the base of my hill hoist. So as the uh, clothes go around, they brush this lavender. Okay. <laughs> it's lovely, isn't it? Yes. I have yeah, a big lavender near my washing line. I actually put the sheets over the lavender bush as I take them off the line just That's for a right. couple of minutes, which is really nice. We love our lavender. Yeah, we do. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to go out there very soon and prune them. Yeah. Not, don't hack into them too hard. But, yeah, they'll that's be fine. What that's great. Thanks, Penny. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Ah, we, we've nearly run out of time for yet another week. Roger, firstly, can you remind listeners again about uh, the uh, Cranbourne Friends mm-hmm. meeting coming up? Right. We've got Jeff Carr talking about Australian plants as weeds, and this is happening next Sunday. <laughs> 28th of April and uh, if you get there at 1.30pm it's being held in the Australian Auditorium of the Australian Garden uh, if you get there at 1.30 you can get a cuppa it'll be a 2pm start and you'll go for probably around about probably an hour and a half I'd suggest um, so we're going to talk about Australian plants as weeds and uh, you know some of the Australian plants do have a tendency outside of their natural area to become weedy and um, Jeff has been studying this sort of thing that's been happening for quite a long time and he's a very knowledgeable speaker so that would be an interesting talk to go to. Mm. Okay, Uh, Penny, you've also got that talk coming up? Uh, Yeah, that's on the 6th of May at um, at the Balnaring Hall. So I'm talking about garlic. And can I just very quickly mention that in the most recent edition of Organic Gardener magazine, I'm talking about um, growing, about climate change, and particularly with garlic, you can have early season, mid-season and late season garlic that I was talking about before. 
if you plant all of those, then you're more likely to have a successful crop because if you get a weird weather event, which mm. we're getting more and more of, yep. it, it will harm some of your crop but not all of it if you are planting at different times and, and harvesting at different times. So the article's mainly about mid and late season garlic and, and where you can get them. So, because they're, they're, particularly the late ones are much rarer um, and they're harder to get hold of. And that's in the current that's edition? That's in the current edition. Yep. It's current for another week I've or so. I've had a lot of people at the nursery asking about garlic okay. in the last couple of weeks, so yes. I'll send well, them, make them go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Chloe. Okay, and also a reminder, of course, that uh, next weekend the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society's autumn show will be on uh, Saturday the 27th, 12 noon to 4 o'clock. Sunday 28, 10am uh, through to 4 o'clock. That's at 100 Hilton Avenue in Sassafras. And finally, uh, a reminder that this coming Wednesday, 24th of April, there will be a talk being given uh, by uh, Anne Vale. It's all about uh, the latest uh, book that she has, uh, has written. Uh, Gardens of the National Trust of Australia, a conversation with Anne Vale, um, two till four o'clock um, to join her. And uh, you entry is uh, into the estate and the talk is only $4. It's payable at the Gatehouse, which is located at 192 Hotham Street in Elstonwick. All funds from this event will go to the National Trust uh, to continue their work in the gardens and uh, the talk will be held in the Rip and Lee Ballroom. Uh, it will run a little under an hour and be followed by a book signing and iced tea and raspberry cream tart. So what a wonderful afternoon. Okay, a big thank you to uh, all the team this morning and also to Virginia who's been handling all the calls this morning. Um, a very, very happy Easter to all our listeners today. And, of course, we'll be back at 7.30 next Sunday morning. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.